One of the hallmark characteristics, one of the stamps of purity and authenticity in Christianity is the willingness to serve. We have a Savior who did a number of things, obviously, that we've been singing about this morning that gives us reason to say that little Hebrew word out of our Old Testament, those four syllables that mean so much, hallelujah, praise the Lord, as Josh has led us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, because he's done so much for us. But one of the huge characteristic distinctions of the Christian faith is that we have a God throughout the entire eternity because he has no beginning, he has no end, always in his character has desired to serve. Honestly, it's one of the things that the disciples had troubles with. They were ready for a king who would conquer and Jesus would through service. They were ready for a God who would be respected and Jesus would be through service. In fact, they were a little perplexed because Jesus would say things to them that just simply didn't make sense. Like the Savior came to serve, not to be served. In the passage that Pastor Josh read for us, in a moment where there was the full expectation that somebody of low standing would wash my feet and we sat to recline, Jesus got up and took the towel and served. The hallmark, that, that stamp of authenticity that, that verifies this is pure, this is right, this is genuine, is service. And so it makes sense that service would be a critical part of the life of the church. In our church, in our congregation, it's included in our four core values. We talk about embracing service, serving in and out, because scripture teaches us that we are to serve one another, that there is even according to the teaching of the Bible, a priority to serve those who are in the household of faith, those who are a part of our church family. And so we take care of one another. We pray for one another. We help one another. We provide meals for one another. We, um, we had guys go out last week and mow a lawn for, for a church member who wasn't able to. We serve one another. But of course, Christianity in its very nature and founding is Jesus' words again that he didn't simply come to seek and to save those who were already a part of faith, but he came to seek and to save the lost. We serve outside as well. We serve those who have no connection with us. We serve those who don't necessarily benefit us. We serve those that we hope would end the process of seeing that service that reflects our Savior have the opportunity to have a conversation about how Jesus changes our lives. Service is not an intrinsic attribute of humankind. This is one of the false teachings of evolution and the theories of the improvement of mankind, is that all people are basically good. I haven't met them yet. I have to admit, I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my worldview, my perception to the scriptures which says all people are sinners, which means we're inherently selfish. 
in that incident in the garden? What was the base motivation? Oh, if you eat that, you'll be like God. Well, who doesn't want to be God? I mean, internally, don't we all? Guys, isn't that the way it is? When you come home at night, you walk across the threshold, your children are there ready to take your shoes off and buff them for you so they're nice and clean the next day. Your wife's there saying, honey, I've prepared four meals. What would you like this evening? I mean, we all have this desire. Meet a baby. I know. I get in trouble every single time I talk about babies. But babies are inherently the most selfish creatures on the face of the earth. All they think about is themselves. I know you get a good feeling when the baby's smiling at you, but the baby's farting. Because all that baby wants to do is survive the next two hours, except in the case of my son, 45 minutes, till the next meal. It's all about ourselves. And Jesus came to disrupt this pattern of life and show us a God who would serve and create a people who would serve. Who would think, as the Apostle Paul told the church in Philippi, not just about themselves, but about everyone else, who would actually have a position of humility, who, referring to Jesus, said even though he was God in nature, did not consider that equality something to be grasped while he was here on earth, but out of humility went to serve even to the fullest extent of giving his life so that we would have the opportunity to know him and aware that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. An immense, magnificent God who serves now calls his people to serve. I want to look at three attributes of that service. I'm going to go to Colossians, and we're going to go to the, the middle part of Colossians. There's this little section where the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, he's giving household codes. He's basically telling young Christian families, this is the way your household should operate. These are the things you should think about. We're not going to look at all of those this morning. But way down in verse 22, he switches to a scenario that is most common to the vocational workplace. And in the middle of that passage where he's talking about how we live out our work, how we live out our vocations, how we live out our responsibility in those scenarios that are bringing our provision, he gives this simple instruction to not only work, but don't work only when you're being watched. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22, as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. I believe Paul captures the heartbeat of service. If we're going to go all in and serve, what does that look like? What, what does our heart look like? What does our actions look like? What motivates us? What drives us? What's our purpose? What's our focus? Because it's so much more than just being nice people. 
Our actions become characteristics. They become hallmarks of Jesus' authenticity. His change, his transformation in our lives. So he says first, serve with all your heart. Have compassion. Work. Put your heart into it. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers. That's so tempting. That's a, that's a part of that selfish, sinful nature. I want to do things right when I know people are watching. But am I willing and am I desiring to do things right when people aren't watching? I want to do it so that somebody notices. But am I willing to do it when nobody notices? I, I want to do it so somebody sees and somebody compliments me. But I'm, am I willing to do it? Am I willing to serve? Am I willing to put my whole heart into it? If there's no compliment, if there's no compensation on the back end of it. I want to serve with my heart. He says in verse 23 again, whatever you do, do it from the heart. as something done for the Lord and not for people. Do it with all your heart. Put our heart into it. This is, this is the compassion and the emotion that is a part of our lives. We're not just simply doing this because it's a task. We're doing it because we are motivated by the love of God. And that love of God is now being lived out in our lives. I mean, we get this. We, we do this all the time in other areas. We, we love our families and we do things for our families. Not because we're necessarily expecting something in return. Not because they're watching or applauding us, but because we just love them. But now as a Christian body, we let the transforming, the changing of our hearts and our lives in Jesus motivate us to do it for people that we don't even know. And we learn to care about them. To me, one of the most amazing examples of this was in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter nine. Jesus has been teaching He's been interacting with the disciples, and it's a moment where they're just pausing. It's a moment where they're just kicking back for just a moment, kind of resting. It's as if Jesus is just kind of looking over the horizon. And this is what Matthew recorded as he watched that take place. When he, referring to Jesus, so when Jesus saw the crowds, he, this is Jesus again, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In this moment, in the middle of his teaching, in the middle of his activities with the disciples, he looks out and he sees the crowds and he sees the people going about their everyday business and his heart comes to the surface and he says, look at the crowds. Notice the crowds. This is a harvest. This is the potential for the salvation, the forgiveness, and the hope that I've come to bring the world. And Jesus was compassionate because he saw them in their distress. He became distressed because they were distressed. He became concerned because of their anxiety. And he recognized that because they didn't have a savior, because they didn't have a relationship with God, that they were wandering around as a herd of sheep without a shepherd, not just to guide them, but to love them, to nurture them, to care for them, to heal them when they were injured, to watch over and be with them. 
And Jesus' response, knowing what he's going to do to make it possible for them to have life and have life eternally, his response to his disciples is, we need to pray for more workers. We need to pray for more service. We need to pray for more people who know me to go all in for the people who don't know me. Now that, I'm going to be honest, that sounds great on Sunday morning. But on Friday afternoon, it didn't sound so great. I was coming back. I'd spent the day with my best friend. I'd left his house. It's about a 12-mile drive from his house to my house. It typically takes me about 20 minutes. I get up onto the freeway, and they've closed the freeway down for construction. They didn't ask my permission. I'm not sure they thought through, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt of closing the freeway down at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. It took me over an hour to drive those 11 miles. So I thought, you know, I know the back roads. I've been here a while. I've lived in this community a while. I know the back roads. As soon as I can ever get up to the next exit, I'm going to jump off and I'll take the back roads back to my house and I'll get there because I know dinner is waiting for me. And she's going to ask, I fixed four meals for you. Which one do you want? And I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and the kids don't live with us anymore. The kids have their own houses, but the dog's there. She'll, she'll at least lick my boots and, and make me feel like I'm in charge. No, that's not how it really works at our house. So I get off on the back roads and I'm headed back and I'm thinking, this is so smart. The back roads are two-lane roads with four-way stops. That I'm guessing the vast majority of the people in Northwest Harris County decided at five o'clock Friday afternoon to take to avoid the freeway that had been closed down. And I am just sitting there. Now, if I could drive through this one country area that I just love to drive through, it's, it's since, since we moved here. It's one of my favorite drives. We got other real close friends that live in that area, and we go over to their house regularly, and, and I just love going that background because it's so beautiful, and it's kind of country, and it's, it's real rural in nature, and I'm like, I enjoy it. I'm always telling Carrie, I said, we should look for a house in this area. This would be kind of cool to live in this area. I didn't think that Friday night because I realized these people aren't going anywhere. I'm trying to get home so I can maybe go out to dinner. These people aren't going anywhere because their driveway is encompassed by all this population that is trying to get home or get to work or whatever they're trying to do at five o'clock on a Friday. Now, I want to tell you that as I sat there in my car, I paused and looked at all of those people in distress and put aside my own distress and said, Lord, You have moved so many people to our region in the last 10 years. You've strategically placed us as a church to reach these people. I want to tell you that I I thought, Lord, we need more churches. And I started praying for church plants. And I want to tell you, I started praying, Lord, we're going to need more Bible studies. And and I know we're trying to launch one for our youngest demographic right now. We're trying to get a Bible study started for them. But we're going to need more because they're continuing to move in. And Lord, we need Bible studies. Lord, Lord, we need... Most of what I was actually thinking, I don't want to repeat. (laughs) I was like, the nerve of these people to get in my way when I'm trying to go home. 
Don't they know I have places to be? And when I finally get up to the four-way stop and I see everybody do that thing where they kind of pull up, they don't, nobody can make a decision on whose turn is next. When I went through driver's ed, doesn't that sound like an old guy? <laughs> when I went to, you know, I, they taught us real easy. I'm like, don't, don't they teach anybody how to drive anymore? Prayer was the farthest thing from my mind. Service was the farthest thing from my mind. This lady pulls out and she wants to get into the middle of the line and I'm going, no way. It's your fault you went to that business. Just wait. <laughs> I was as far from Christ-like as I could have possibly been. I probably wasn't that nice to come home to either. So, um, but our heart, ultimately at the end of the day, I can at least recognize, albeit somewhat humorously this morning, that my spirit wasn't in the right place. But the truth is, I don't live perpetually that way because Jesus changed my heart. And I do have a broken heart over the masses that are moving to our region and the opportunity we have to reach those people for Christ. I want to see the crowds. I want to see the moments of irritation. And I want to see what God sees. And I want to be able to pray, Lord, we need more people. We need more church. We need more servants. Because I want my heart to be a part of my service. I want my passion, that that drives me to be a part of my service. Again, in verse 22, but work wholeheartedly. You can sense the, the passion in that, fearing the Lord, because I'm working for him, I'm not working for people. Knowing that, in verse 24, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. And again, in verse 24, you serve the Lord Christ. That should drive our passion. Jesus is with me in those moments. And Jesus is the one who can and will commend me. How many times have you heard me say it? How many times have you said it yourself? Listening to Jesus' parable about the talents, about the resources that have been put to use. And those magnificent words. Well done, good and faithful leader. That's not what it says. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want Jesus. My passion is Jesus, and I want Jesus to be the one who commends. That's why we don't work as people being watched and as people pleasers, and that's why we do it from our heart, knowing that it's something done for the Lord and not for other people. We do it because our passion is in Jesus. He's what drives us. Paul, speaking to a completely different church in Ephesus, he said this, you were saved by grace through faith. In other words, basically his point here is that nobody can accomplish this on their own. It's not from yourselves, he says, it is God's gift, it's not from works, so that no one can boast. Many of us know that verse and we understand. I cannot do enough right things to give me good standing with God. I can only do right things when God changes my wrong heart and makes it a right heart with Jesus' righteousness. I can't, I can't do enough things to get the credit or the grade, the passing mark with God. It was his gift, it was his grace that made it possible. Here's the part in verse 10 that oftentimes doesn't get read and doesn't get quoted. For we are his worksmanship, we are his craftsmen, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
So I can't earn my salvation by the things that I do, but God designed me so that when I experience salvation, I am prepared to do those good things. What sin ruined in my life, salvation, forgiveness enables in my life. So all my service prior to salvation was, in my case at least, definitely selfish and self-motivated. But now that service can become something of passion because Jesus has forgiven me, given me a new heart and a new life, and he created me for this. I was designed for this. Talk about one of those moments, this is your why. Paul just flat out tells the church, this is what you were designed for. It was to serve, it was to do good things that reflects on Jesus because you can't do these things of yourselves. You can only do it by his grace, by his love that transforms you. Our passion is the transforming work of Jesus in our lives. When we meet him and he changes us, now we have a passion to live and to serve and to do that which God designed us for. So we serve with heart. We serve with passion but we also serve with focus. That verse 25 seems a little bit odd, but it's just a reminder to those, particularly in the workplace, that there is injustice in the world. We actually, one of the songs we sang, the verse talked about that, how we are thankful to God because he brings justice in an unjust world. The wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There's no favoritism. You don't have to worry about who's getting ahead or who's related to who or whose buddy is who because that's not the way it works with God, which enables us now to serve with focus, to have purpose, to be intentional about it because it's Jesus's transforming work in me that enables me to serve and I'm not doing it to get ahead. I'm not doing it to achieve anything or, or gain accolades or, or rack up some kind of accomplishment. I'm doing it because Jesus changed me and every time I do these good works that I was created to do because God's grace enables me to do it, I am now reflecting the character of Jesus, the purity of character. I am stamping that gold with a stamp that says this is pure, this is authentic, and it's obvious by my service. I can now stay focused because I don't have to worry. See, my, I don't have to worry about who is serving and who isn't serving. I don't, I don't have to sit there and think, you know what, I'm doing this, 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 and this. Have you ever, has anybody ever thought this except me? I'm doing all of this. What is she doing or what is he doing? What are they doing? We're, we tend to be, as Paul describes in this passage, very otherly focused. I don't I can put all that aside now. But I can focus clearly on Jesus, knowing that there is accountability with God. That's why Paul told us, we're going to do these things, we're going to serve, we're going to, we're going to work, and we're going to work with all our heart, because we're doing it as people who are fearing the Lord. We're doing it as people who serve the Lord Christ. They don't have to be concerned about everything else, which means I have the ability now to be focused. I love what happened in John chapter 21. Peter has sinned immensely. He has denied Jesus in Jesus' most difficult moment. He's embarrassed, and so he's gone back from fishing for men, which Jesus had called him to do, to fishing for fish, which is a good pastime, and it's even a good vocation, but it wasn't what God wanted Peter to do. Peter's embarrassed. They have breakfast together, and Jesus is trying to bring him back in, and he's asking Peter very pointed questions. 
Peter, do you love me? And Peter's thinking, man, no wonder he's asking that. The way I behaved the last four days, it doesn't look like I loved him. Peter, Jesus kept asking him again, Peter, do you love me? This is one of those few moments where I really like Peter because I can identify him. He says, yes, I love you. And then, then Jesus recommissions him and said, okay, then I just I want you to feed. I want you to take care of my sheep, take care of my flock. And Peter is commissioned back into service. But in a classic moment, Peter's walking with Jesus. And he turns around and he sees John behind him. And he looks to Jesus and says, what about him? How many times when we talk about service do we go, what about him? We need somebody to work in preschool. What about him? We need somebody to teach a new Bible study class. What about him? We need somebody to take food to this house. What about him? We need somebody to plant flowers and, and flower beds, either here at church or at somebody's house. What about him? We need, it doesn't really matter what it is. When that question comes out, we need, we have a tendency to say, what about him? I love Jesus' response. He looks to Peter patiently but strongly and says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. What about him, Jesus says. He's not the topic of conversation. Peter, you're the topic of conversation. Whatever I want to do with him is okay. But my question to you, Peter, is will you follow me? Serve with focus. And the work of Jesus in our lives, forgiving us, gives us the ability to do that because we can stop asking, what about him? What about her? What about them? And we can just ask, what about me? Where do you want me to go, Jesus? I'll follow you. Let's sing together again. You can go ahead. If you want to go ahead and stand while everybody's getting back in place, there's a great hymn that we've sung for a long time around our church that just talks about the greatness of Christ and how in Christ we can do these things. This is not about being self-motivated or, or being encouraged or, or having the right spot. This is about living the life of Jesus in our own lives every day. Being in Christ and in Christ alone. That's how we serve with heart. That's how we serve with passion. That's how we serve with focused. In Christ and in Christ alone.